from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We don't get business training in med school. It's almost like we are trained to become employees of large companies. And the payment model is what determines how many people you have to see or how much money you make. So when insurance is paying for the care, insurance controls what happens. What I found frustrating was that patients were overpaying for an urgent care visit when it was something that could have easily been taken care of by their family medicine doctor or their internal medicine doctor. I'm Sarah Fenske. The next wave of healthcare just might be something called direct patient care, a model that makes insurance optional. Dr. Lauren Mitchell is a family medicine physician who recently opened a direct patient clinic in Cottleville, Missouri. Patients pay an initial enrollment fee plus a monthly membership fee. She says it's a way to cut insurance right out of the equation. It's a model other physicians have found big success with. That includes Dr. Jennifer Allen. She opened New Freedom Family Medicine in 2017. She's now getting set to open her third location in O'Fallon, Missouri. And joining us now to talk about it is Dr. Jennifer Allen. In addition to serving around 1,000 patients across Herman, Washington, and O'Fallon, she's an advisory board member of the Direct Primary Care Alliance. Dr. Allen, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having us. And we're also joined today by Dr. Lauren Mitchell. Her new clinic, Honest Family Medicine, just opened in Cottleville. Dr. Mitchell, welcome. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much. So, Dr. Mitchell, I want to start with just a bit of your story. I understand you moved back to Missouri last year after getting your medical training through the Air Force. What brought you back home? Mostly I just wanted to be around family again. I traveled a ton with the Air Force and I thought it was time to settle back at home and being away just really made me uh, realize how great it was where I grew up. So mm. here I am and setting down roots both professionally and family-wise. So those professional roots, I understand you worked for an urgent care center first. You're still there part-time. Was that a big shift from how you practiced medicine in the military? Well, not necessarily. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because right now, with access to healthcare so limited due to the pandemic and overall just a paucity of primary care doctors, I was still seeing a lot of primary care issues in the urgent care as well. Hmm. So you're seeing the same sort of patients. What about the insurance model? Did that end up complicating the medicine you're practicing? In the urgent care, not so much. A lot of the uh, insurance policies cover things under urgent care and emergency care medicine. But what I found frustrating was that patients were overpaying for an urgent care visit when it was something that could have easily been taken care of by their family medicine doctor or their internal medicine doctor. Hmm. So you're wondering, why are these patients being forced to even turn to an urgent care? Why don't they just go see a, a family doctor? Right. And I'm, of course, always happy to take care of them and see them and help them meet their needs until they can get into their primary care doctor. But 
a lot of common questions and concerns that the patients were having were uh, they couldn't get an appointment in time when they needed it, or they couldn't get a hold of their doctor for a quick question or a refill. And some people were just frustrated and felt like they needed more time with their doctor. And unfortunately, the doctors weren't able to do that. I do want to clarify, if you don't mind, that this is what I'm doing and what Dr. Allen's doing and what we're talking about today is in no way an attack on other primary care doctors. Um, it's a very tough job. You have a lot of stress put on you from administration as well as insurance companies. And most doctors actually don't have a lot of control over how much time they get with their patients and how many they're in charge of being of seeing and, and managing. So I think that's really important to distinguish that I'm not trying to do anything new. I'm trying to go back to the way it used to be. Hmm. Dr. Allen, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Is that kind of the same sense you have of this? This is, this is the old-fashioned model that you found a way to do in 2022. Yes, absolutely. I'm a little older than Lauren, so I'll I'll show my age. You know, I grew up watching Marcus Welby and some of those other medical shows that had great community physicians and personal relationships with their patients. And I really felt like working in the insurance-based payment system got in the way of those relationships because of all of the points that Dr. Mitchell just highlighted. We don't get enough time with patients. Um, you know, we have to refer patients out for specialty care when family medicine physicians really have a broad scope and can take care of most of what people need. Yeah, it was interesting to hear Dr. Mitchell say that, you know, these, these physicians don't really have control over their own schedule. Dr. Allen, is that something that, that you've seen? Is, and is, is the insurance uh, companies the reasons for that? So the insurance companies are not directly responsible for that. It, the practices are typically owned by the hospital system, and the payment model is what determines how many people you have to see or how much money you make. So when insurance is paying for the care, insurance controls what happens, and when your practice is owned by a third party, then they control how you take care of people and how many people you have to see. Um, it, in direct primary care, what we found is by taking the insurance out of the equation, we're able to provide the care that our patients need on, on their terms, really. Um, we can find lower cost testing, lower cost labs. We can spend the time that it takes to really get to the bottom of the diagnosis and help people. When you, when you talk about lower-cost testing and, and lower-cost labs, other savings you're able to find, don't you then have to spend so much time sort of managing the, the business side of things? Isn't that supposedly what these big hospital chains take off the table by you working for them? Well, it's a trade-off. I mean, when you own your own practice, yes, there are more administrative duties that have to happen, but that's our goal. It's so important to be able to get the best test for the right price so that people don't go bankrupt getting their health care. Dr. Mitchell, is that does this sort of speak to what you're hoping to do as well, um, to just set up this model and to do this so you can get people what you as a doctor decide is best for them? Absolutely, 100%. And Dr. Allen has been 
doing this a lot longer than me, and she's been definitely a type of mentor for me. In fact, we have a little community of local St. Louis area direct primary care doctors who have been an amazing support system for me because as Dr. Allen and you alluded to, we don't get business training in med school. It's almost like we are trained to become employees of large companies. So there's been a huge learning curve as far as what is this fee for? How do I do this kind of computer program? But it's been so worth it just to have the autonomy and to say, hey, this patient needs an hour of my time and I can give it. I don't have anyone tapping me on the shoulder saying, go ahead and churn those patients and and um, tell them to come back if they have another issue. And it just feels wrong to do that. I really, really want to focus on not only giving my patients time and being accessible to them through email, text, phone call, whatever, but I also want to really make sure that their medical care is personalized. I've always wanted to go into family medicine, and I've always wanted to have those deep, long-lasting relationships with my patients where we really know each other. And I can tell if something's bothering one of my patients, or my patients feel comfortable talking to me about things that maybe is a little bit taboo or uncomfortable for them. Dr. Allen, I'm, I'm curious to hear how this has worked because you now have this up and running. You're about to open your third. How does this work financially? People have to pay an initial fee. Uh, how big a fee are we talking? So in my practice, the adult enrollment fee is $75 payable with the first visit. Um, when we have a wait list, we ask people to pay that up front so that we can hold their spot. And then it's an age-based monthly payment um, $80 for adults, $60 for younger people, $25 for children, um, and there are discounts when whole families join. Um, it's like an auto-renewing monthly membership. There are also discounts if you pay the year up front. But the, the um, I mean, the greatest thing about it is that monthly fee covers all the care that we can give you during, you know, that month. So that um, there's no additional charge if people are coming in and seeing you. They're not paying even a copay for that visit. Correct. Correct. Copayments and things like that are barriers to care. If, if And again, we're not trying to villainize insurance companies or anything like that. They do play a role in our healthcare system and catastrophic needs or surgeries or specialists. Oftentimes, it helps to offset the cost of those visits by using insurance. But like with car insurance, if you expected your auto insurance to cover your oil changes, auto insurance would be really expensive. Mm -hmm. So in, in that analogy, if we can carve the primary care back out so that you're not paying for things that really, my time is not that expensive. My knowledge is something that I like to give to people. And so with this model, we're able to do that for our patients. So we have some callers that have some questions, and we're also curious to hear from people who have tried this model. Have you tried direct patient care? How has it worked out for you? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Let's go to the phone lines. Jean is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Jean, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, Jean? And I were, yes. Hello. I'm sorry. Uh, now we've got you. Uh, if you could start okay. from the beginning. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Um, thanks for taking my call. My husband and I were patients of Dr. Allen's when she was still in a network. It was traumatic when we <laughs> she changed her 
model we wish that we could have kept with her but my insurance coverage through my employer that paid for our health care didn't allow us to do that and then shortly after we had a catastrophic health issue and we because we were in a large um physician service group through my employer's insurance we were able to tap into that in addition to our primary care i really appreciate the model that your guests are proposing for primary care and preventive care, but what happens when a catastrophic issue like that comes in and you need to tap into the services of a larger system, more specialized technical medicine, and probably need insurance to cover that? How do we manage that? Jean, I think that's a great question. It's great to hear your praise for having been uh, uh, treated by Dr. Allen before she went into this model. Uh, Dr. Allen, how would that work if somebody had a catastrophic event and they're, they're just paying you this fee of like $80 a month? You surely can't cover that kind of stuff that way. Well, correct. We're still affiliated with all of the hospital systems. We refer just like any other physician in private practice. So the only thing that changes about what we do is how we as individual physicians get paid. So we can still send out lab orders and have your insurance pay for them. We can still send you to the emergency room or send you to the cardiologist or arrange the surgery that you might need. And your insurance still pays for that. We're just better able to spend the time to find the right provider for the right referral at the right cost. Jean, thanks for calling in. So, Dr. Mitchell, is the idea here that people need to retain their health insurance, this is something they're doing on top of health insurance so that they can have access to that kind of preventative care and and a, a primary care doctor? Right, Sarah. So actually, Jean brought up two really important points, and I'm not sure that uh, everyone caught that, but she talked about how their status changed a lot. And one thing that we haven't really discussed yet is the large groups of people who don't get health insurance coverage through their employers or through their spouses. Those are things like independent contractors, hairstylists, massage therapists, bartenders, waitresses, And so they're paying ridiculous amounts of money out of pocket because they don't yet know about direct primary care. Mm -hmm. And so there is a whole group of people that really need to know we exist and that we're here for them. And in many cases, we're willing to work around their schedule. You know, if you need a phone call visit because you worked at the bar until 2 a.m., well, we'll make it happen. Um, The other thing that Jane talked about to answer your question I absolutely do think that anyone, if they can afford it, should have some sort of catastrophic coverage through insurance or health sharing ministries. And that's a whole other kind of grassroots uh, insurance sort of insurance policy that people are really getting into because it takes a little bit more of the corporate aspect out of it. Mm -hmm. But Um, Even if someone didn't have any catastrophic insurance or health sharing ministry coverage, if they needed help, we're going to do what we can as advocates for our patients to get them to the specialist that they need. And one thing that Dr. Allen talked about a little bit is we do what we can to advocate for our patients and we will call specialists for them and say, hey, I have this gentleman, he's having this issue, what can you do for us and at what cash price? So there's a lot of negotiation that happens on our part for our patients. That also includes medication costs and negotiating cheaper, much cheaper prices for lab testing. 
So there's a whole sort of network that underpins healthcare that I think so many of us don't ever think about. And it sounds like both of you have had to think about this a lot and you see this as a model that works. It sounds like it might work best for somebody who wants to do that preventative care, um, maybe is an independent contractor, somebody who's not being offered the Cadillac health plan through their work, and they can supplement it with something catastrophic. But in that case, you feel pretty confident you have them covered. Um, Dr. Allen, does that, did I summarize that about right? Well, I, I think in a way, you made it sound limiting. No, no offense. Um, None taken. Everybody, I, I have a full panel of patients everywhere from no insurance. I have patients with Medicaid and Medicare. I have patients with full-on, totally paid by their employer health insurance. And they love the unique custom care that they get in my practice because I have the time to give it to them. I, and I have a team. I mean, I have, I have, I'd have to count now, four nurses, five nurses. I have a nurse practitioner. I have an assistant physician. And everybody works as a team to help ensure that our patients are taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, and you're able to take Medicare patients, you said. So I am officially opted out of Medicare. So, and in, with that status, then it is legal to not bill Medicare for the care that I give. So I, all of my patients sign a contract with us, and the Medicare laws require that if a physician is going to bill a patient for something that Medicare would have otherwise covered, then the physician has to be opted out. And so I tell my patients, I don't bill Medicare for you, and you can't go home and bill Medicare for me. And then Medicare says it's fine. Hmm. And so their Medicare still covers if they go to a specialist, if they need a chest X-ray or labs or medications, however they want to use it. Um, I, I, almost a third of my practice are Medicare. Hmm. And Dr. Mitchell, do you see yourself setting up then that same system that Dr. Allen just described because of those intricacies with Medicare? Absolutely. I'm in the process of opting out right now because I have been approached by so many patients that have Medicare. And even though, uh, you know, they're paying for that service, they want more time. They want more time to talk about their issues. They want someone that really, truly cares for them and will take the time to explain things to them. And so for many patients, it's worth that small monthly fee to get that personalized service. So, Dr. Allen, we mentioned when we introduced you that you're an advisory board member of the Direct Primary Care Alliance. Are you hearing from many physicians that are interested in exploring this at this point? Oh, my goodness. It's huge. When I first opened my practice in 2017, there were about 400 or so um, direct primary care practices listed on an organizational map uh, nationwide. And now there's nearly 3,000, and I'm sure there are more that just haven't signed up or aren't listed in the registry. Um, the Direct Primary Care Alliance, our mission is to educate and support physicians who want to make the transition um, and continue to, to make our kind of practice um, as widespread as possible. Do you feel like, Dr. Allen, this is the next big thing? This is where the industry is headed? Well, I think something something has to change. We can't continue to allow healthcare costs to spiral out of control and and ignore huge populations of people who aren't getting care. This is the United States of America. We our people need to be taken care of across the lifespan. And for me, 
this is the solution because it allows me to do the best that I can for my patients in a custom way. And, and Dr. Mitchell, you're still very new to this. You've just opened in Cottleville, but it sounds like you're hearing from a lot of patients who are signing on for this. This is something people want. I am. And I've been so fortunate to have my friends and family and neighbors and other members of the Chamber of Commerce really spread the message of what I do and what I'm trying to bring to the community. And then that information is getting shared by other people. And so, you know, the word is out. And I'm really excited to fill my my clinic and meet all these people in my community and offer a service that people maybe have never heard of before. Well, Dr. Lauren Mitchell, we appreciate you making the time, even as you're launching this business, uh, to join us today to talk about it. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And Dr. Mitchell's clinic, Honest Family Medicine, is now open in Cottleville. I also want to say thank you to Dr. Jennifer Allen. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Allen is the founder of New Freedom Family Medicine that has locations in Herman, Washington, and soon O'Fallon, Missouri. Dr. Allen, thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.